Welcome to Maritime Health and Performance Chat, where we talk with individuals involved in health and sport, from academics to athletes. So to preface today's uh, uh, segment, we have an amazing guest. My tone of voice might not reflect that. I just came back from my last workout of this phase, everything to failure, only puked a little bit. Uh, so I've got my coffee. I'm trying to revamp up. But in my mind, the excitement's there. It just might not come across as well in my tone. So let's get right into it. Today's guest is uh, a world medal athlete, Olympic hopeful, and also certified pretty boy, Alex Scott. So Alex, uh, everyone wants to hear about your background, so let's get right into it. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for having me on. Um, you know, you and I go way back because we used to do uh, judo together. Um, so yeah, I guess that's where I'll start um, because that's where my sort of love for sport began is, is with judo. Um, I am a paddling athlete. I'm a sprint kayak athlete, but I had always, um, I had done judo first. So when I was eight or so, I was uh, a full-time judo athlete. And then in the summers when judo let out, I would, uh, I would paddle. So I did both for a long, long time. And it was through judo that I, I really developed a love for sport. We got to meet a lot of really cool characters in judo, uh, a lot of uh, Olympians, Canadian Olympians, like Keith Morgan and Nick Tritton, folks like that. And I just, I was blown away by these people. And I thought that was just so, so cool. And ultimately, uh, my judo career led me to the 2011 Halifax uh, Canada Winter Games um, when I was about 16, when I competed at those. Um, unfortunately, after that time, I sort of felt like my judo career was kind of winding down in order to kind of make the next moves. I'd have to uh, move away from home, go to Montreal. And at that same time, um, I was still paddling and I was doing quite well in paddling. So I was, I was a bit unsure as to where my judo career would lead me at that time. Um, and then about a year later was the 2012 Olympic Summer Games. And it was kind of interesting because at those Olympic Games, uh, there was a, a club mate of mine, um, Mark DeYoung, who was competing at those games. And I just remember the entire club. We, we, we had a huge event at the clubhouse and we watched all the races and we watched Mark compete. And I was absolutely, I, you know, so I just was so fascinated by that. And I just felt that it felt really possible. You know, I, I love sports so much. And all of a sudden I'm seeing someone in my own community competing at the Olympics. And it just felt very potentially attainable to me that there was a pathway forward here to, to maybe one day go to the Olympics uh, myself. Um, and so I kind of felt with my judo career winding down, um, but my paddling career sort of spinning up, I uh, decided to commit to paddling full time. And that's when I made the transition. Um, it was the next year in 2013 um, that I made the uh, junior worlds team uh, in paddling. And then 2014, I was on the uh, junior national team training with them. 2015, I joined the Canadian senior national team. Uh, and of course, my goal at that time was to make the 2016 Olympic Games. Of course, uh, I was still very new to the sport. And at the time, I was trying to make the, the Olympics in a, in a crew boat, in the K2, in fact. And in our sport, we, a K2 just means a kayak for two people. A K1 is a kayak for one person. So I was trying to make the Olympics in the K2. Um, unfortunately, the coaches ended up thinking, I, I just, they thought I was too new to the sport still. I mean, I was the youngest in my training group by about five years. 
And most of the guys are about eight or 10 years older than me. So they just felt that I didn't really have the experience in order to, to really be able to race at the Olympic level in a crew boat. And so ultimately I didn't compete at the, uh, the Olympic team trials in crew boats, but I did compete in the K1 and I placed second um, to the, you know, then world champion Mark and ultimately became an alternate for Mark at those 2016 Olympic games, but it meant that I didn't get to, to go or to compete at them. And I was pretty disappointed by this because I felt that I was, you know, I demonstrated that I was fast enough uh, to be, to be um, on that team because I had beaten all the guys who, who would have went in the crew boats. You know, the coaches just felt that I didn't have the experience necessary to, to race in the crew boats. So with that in mind, I, I decided with my coach that I would train, uh, I would change my training program entirely to get ready for the 2020 games. Because if the idea was that I didn't have the experience or the technical ability to paddle in crew boat, I wanted to fix that. So instead of doing the normal sprint program that I had been doing, I decided to do a longer distance program, a high volume program. My thinking was that if I take more strokes, I will um, be able to work on my technique more because I'll just be doing more of it. So I did that for a few years. And uh, well, I did that for, yeah, I did that for a few years. In 2017, I, um, I saw huge improvements in my technical ability. I didn't make the, uh, the crew boat that I was trying to that season, the, the, uh, the K4 500. Um, but last minute, a teammate of mine got uh, sick at the under 23 world championships and they needed me to substitute into the boat. And it was literally last minute. Um, I woke up the morning of that race to my coach, you know, like literally touching me, like nudging me to, to get up out of bed and, you know, startled. He was like, you know, you have to come to the course. We need you to fill in. It was like that immediate. And so, you know, I went to the course, I jumped in the boat last minute and we raced heat pretty good, semi pretty good again, pretty damn good. And then final, we ended up finishing fourth and we were a hundredth of a second off of the podium and a tenth of a second off of the, the gold medal. So doing that after failing to make any crew boats in 2016 really demonstrated to me that what I was onto was working, that these, this high, uh, high volume program, taking more strokes, was really helping me uh, develop better technique, better, better crew boat knowledge and experience. That's, um, that's a really interesting point because, you know, where you were saying a lot of your teammates were doing more sprint type programming, you know, you see it a lot on, you know, say like the Instagram and stuff like the fitness gurus, uh, you know, they're, they're putting out these workouts and, you know, it's like, you want to look like me, you gotta train exactly like me, but you know, from everywhere from the general population up to, you know, you guys in high performance athletics, everyone is so individual that program A for one person might not work for the other, right? And, you know, it's kind of part of the, you know, the multidiscipline team uh, looking after those, especially the high performance groups to kind of indicate, you know, and especially the, in that case, kind of your, your coaches on the technical tactical side and probably, you know, your strength conditioning professionals on the, in the weight room side um, and the conditioning side of things, kind of making those decisions uh, looking out for the athlete's best interest, but you know, training at any level is extremely specific. I know you have a lot more to go into. I just want to stop you for a sec because there was something uh, you mentioned, a couple things you mentioned actually that really stuck out for me. I want, I want to start with the Canada Games one. So kind of having that, you said after the Canada Games, you felt a little almost in limbo, right? Like your, your judo career was kind of hanging there. Like it was, it was almost like a transition phase. And um, one thing I see, and I especially see it because, you know, the sports I was involved in was judo and wrestling. 
but a lot of other sports I know see this, that there's almost like a, a Canada Games cycle where, you know, the, the year immediately after the Canada Games, numbers are at an all-time low. And then as you approach, you know, more people come out of the woodwork, say, ah, I might give this, a, you know, give a kick at the can. And then you get the Canada Games, and, and, and we both saw this, that there were several people who even medaled or, or, you know, came top five on our team that immediately after Canada Games, whether through um, parents, teammates, coaches, whatever, built up that Canada Games so much in their head that it was such a, a weight on them that when it finished, it almost felt like they had probably a career's worth of work after that. And, you know, you have these people that have a lot of potential that, you know, and this isn't to say that every person who is a good athlete has to go on to, you know, compete at the high performance levels. But there are so many people that that really could have and a part of me thinks almost should have continued, but they, they just completely removed themselves from the sports, even to a recreational level, because they were so burnt out after that Canada Games, because it's so built up um, by, by everyone around them. There's so much hype to it. I mean, uh, you and I both, you know, we had interviews and, and everything, especially where it was in our hometown, all our families were there. I remember, you know, and, and you and I were both at the very, the youngest uh, kind of you could be to, to make that team. Uh, it was a lot of pressure for a 14, 15 year old. Yeah. I mean, I think we were what, 16 at the time. Oh, no, it was 2000, 2011, so I would have been, I still would have been, I think, 15. Right, okay, I think, uh, yeah, so we would have been 15, 16, I guess you're right, yeah. yeah. I also remember being quite underweight, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, because I was, uh, you know, we, we, a few less bodies um, in the sport, right, and just, just for, you know, really because of population. Um, it's funny because, you know, to make a more full team to give us the best chance to kind of have an overall standing, which which people might not realize, but in some of these even individual sports, uh, the team standings are extremely important because that kind of dictates funding for the next cycle. Yeah. It's where you are placed, uh, where, where you know, your province is placed in the, in the pool. Uh, so, you know, opportunities kind of have a better draw, you know, to face yeah. lower ranked athletes in the, in the earlier rounds. Um, so, I mean, placement actually does uh, bear some weight. And, and, you know, one thing, if anyone is listening to this that is involved in the Canada Games program, I would love to say is it's smaller than an Olympic Games. It's smaller than a Pan Am Games. It's smaller than a Commonwealth Games, right? But it's a multi-sport game. There's a lot of fanfare, a lot of hype. Like, you know, preach to these athletes that this is a stepping stone, right? If, you know, a lot of a lot of the times Canada Games is smaller than a national championship, right? There's less people. You, you know, you have, for the sport of drill, you have less fights. For know? sure. I mean, it mirrors the Olympic Games. The Olympic Games, it's the same thing. It's it's much smaller, uh, on, uh, you know, per sport. It's much smaller than a world championships. Yeah. I mean, way fewer people are, will attend and compete uh, in, an, in any given sport than at their, that sport's world championships. But it is still uh, what everyone's, you know, four-year cycle, you know, training cycle is all based on. And so it, it'll, it'll be, you know, the highest level of competition. It'll just be much smaller. Yeah, so I would love there to be like a transition in the Canada Games mentality from like a, this is the pinnacle of your athletic career at 15, 16, or 17, to this is a great opportunity to expose you to what you might see uh, as you progress when you in the in the junior so you know you, for most sports it's kind of 18 and up and the seniors so like you know 20 to 23 and up levels right like it's a great exposure so it's not a, a big shock when you, you know, when you you reach higher levels like where you are now um, mm -hmm. but I think kind of the the weight of it needs to be brought back a bit and kind of a bit of perspective needs to be taken um, I loved how how you kind of talked about when you got that opportunity to to compete in, I believe, 2017, that crew boat, when you guys, yeah, yeah like, 
So I had uh, a good friend of mine, my, my boss right now, uh, head uh, strength conditioning coach at St. Mary's University, Eric Richard, on this as well. And one of the things he said, which was so good, preparation plus opportunity equals success. You were the alternate, but you did not dial back your training. You were like, I'm the alternate. Okay, next time around, this is my spot. You know, you trained still, you were ready, and, and you know, you were prepared. So when that opportunity literally came knocking in the form of your coach that morning. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that because that's that's exactly, uh, that was exactly my mindset. And in fact, almost exactly the the sort of the saying that I was going on or off of, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, you know, you have to prepare yourself for what will inevitably come your way. What will, what will, the opportunity that presents itself, you know, you, you don't know what that will be necessarily uh, until it happens. But at the same time, you have to do your best to, to try and prepare for whatever it does come up. So that was the, the goal in 2017 is the majority of this sport is crew boat. There's only, you know, for, for me as a sprinter, there's only one uh, uh, event in the singles that I could put, uh, potentially compete for, which is the, the K1 200 meter. I'm not, I'm not a thousand meter uh, guy. So it limits you if you do not uh, reach beyond that and try to find some way to obtain crew boat skills so that you can kind of compete in multiple uh, events. Awesome. I mean, now that we kind of naturally came back around to that 2017, I'd love for you to continue on about your, your, uh, your path to where you were today. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, 2017 was awesome because I think, yeah, it, it showed um, that it was onto something. Um, and so I continued that work um, of high volume program, um, but keeping in mind that by the time that the 2020 Olympics rolls around, I do need to be able to switch back and do some more sprint specific stuff in order to uh, be able to qualify for that. Um, so I kept at it for 2018 and then uh, partly of 2019 as well, because 2019 is the Olympic qualifying year and so that's when I really started transitioning away from the the high volume program back into a sprint program um and then of course all this was culminating towards the eventual 2020 you know olympic team trials which are our domestic selection um but also pan am championships which are used as a continental selection for the olympic games um, unfortunately leading into the 2020 uh, competition season, things were going really, really well for me. I was setting, you know, personal records in, uh, in off the water and on the water. Um, and I, uh, I was, I was very hopeful. I, I thought I was doing everything I needed to do. And I was, I was, I put myself in a place that I had never been before. And I was very excited for what that season was going to look like for me. Um, and we were three weeks away from the Olympic uh, team trials, which would select the uh, the domestic competitor, uh, the domestic sorry, the, the d domestic um, person who would then compete, try and compete for the lane to go to the Olympics. Uh, we were three weeks away from that process from starting, and the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic um, broke out, and so we had to immediately come home and quarantine, and so that ended our season prematurely. And yeah, I mean that's so basically that's kind of where we are now. I mean, now that you've kind of gotten to sort of your, your path, I, f I feel like I kind of know the answer a bit about this, but I'd mm -hmm. love to, to, to hear your, you know, your um, interpretation on this. But like, do you think participating kind of judo and uh, uh, paddling at the same time up till, you know, about the age of 16, uh, you know, do you think it influenced kind of you as an athlete? And do you think it's made uh, any differences or even improvements in your canoe kayak game? I think so. I think so in a big way, because... I mean, you, you would speak to this more than, than I could, but doing judo at a young age, I think is 
is awesome because it's, you know, you have to be very aware of your surroundings and, you know, balance and things like that. And so I think that's a really cool thing, really good thing to do as a, as a young kid developing. But the other thing too, is that I remember, you know, there really isn't anything more intimidating than um, getting on the mats or the tatami before competition, because you're literally about to go, you know, fight another person. And that, that is, um, that is something that, it makes you a little less afraid of competition when it's just a race. <laughs> yeah. There's no real risk of, of injury when you're, uh, I mean, I mean, obviously there is, but not to the same extent as when you're about to go fight a person. So I was gonna say, there's a little less risk of someone injuring you on the right. I mean, unless yeah, no one, it's not, uh, it's not full contact uh, spring kayak. So, yeah. Um, so it's funny cause you know, you, you hear about, the the best in the world like the the Wayne Gretzky's the Tiger Woods and stuff and you know from the age of four they were you know practicing um and it's funny because I guess it goes back to that sort of when people uh see these got these you know people on some special sports supplements and you know good genetics not to downplay the amount of work that goes in because you can't just take special sports supplements and uh and sit on the couch and eat potato chips and and get jacked and and, and you know perform well in sport right you have to still put some insane amount of works in regardless of of you know the hand you were dealt but i mean it, i think it's really good to show that you know more times than not you know you hear the you know it's, it's nice for for media to sensationalize these you know they've been working since they were four years old but more times than not that results in burnout and people just leaving the sport by you know by the time they're 14 15 they've had a 10 year career in a sport already like their bodies are breaking down and stuff because i mean there's a lot of old school coaching and training mentality that's trickled down because people aren't, you know, continuing to further their education and looking at kind of new, you know, evidence-based trends coming out. But like, uh, there's really something to be said about having a multi-sport base well into your teenage years, right? One, it's like you kind of said that that judo game, it gave you that kind of competition side, but also a sport like that, anytime you have to move your body weight, so like a combat sport, uh, a gymnastic sport, right? If you can control your body in space, oh man, you can control your body while holding equipment in space because you're even more stable, right? You can control, exactly, yeah. right? Like yeah, it, I think that's very true, yeah. There's something to be said about uh, being a multi-sport athlete. And now there obviously is some exceptions because there's there's more than just, you know, what the what the research says. There's kind of psychological factors that go into it. There's enjoyment of, the, uh, of sports too. And maybe if, you know, and self-efficacy play, plays a role. Like if you're not good at anything else but paddling well okay you're probably going to paddle for the rest of your life right that's, <laughs> that's just how it is right and there, there's an enjoyment factor to that as well but i mean uh generally speaking like being a multi-sport athlete well into your teenage years and i mean until about 16 or 18 it seems uh you know from talking to a, a friend of mine who actually did his master's in specifically combat sport kind of long-term athlete developments and looking at the pathways um to get to you know high performance you know that more times than not it, it's much more beneficial to avoid overuse injuries and burnout to just be a better well-rounded athlete and really just a person because there's different kind of uh, character growth that comes in different sports, whether it's an individual sport, a team sport, a combat sport, a, a, a race sport, right? Uh, right. There, there's something to be said about, you know, having a multi-sport background to make you a more well-rounded athlete. I mean, I think that can kind of go back to the uh, preparation and opportunity equals success, right? Like that preparation side of things, you don't realize it, but, since the age of eight where you were playing soccer, hockey, judo, whatever, you're doing three or four sports and eventually slowly starting to focus on a couple and then one, 
those foundations kind of last with you through your entire life and just make you a better athlete. Yeah, I think I agree with that totally. I, I can't speak as much to the the like the you know the kinetics or the the physiological side of things, but I think also from just a mental standpoint, if you're a young kid, um, the idea is to just for sport is to just have fun and to play. So you know, I I, I never liked the fact that. Well, I think it's just best to have many sports and that way there's not one focus, one thing that means, you know, all the world. It's just about a lot of different ways in which you have fun with friends. And then once you're older, you know, in your, in your teens, late teens, maybe, you know, start introducing some serious, um, you know, focus to, to one or two things and eventually to one thing and, and, and those competitions as well. Yeah, it's the, it's the long haul. It's not, it's not necessarily the candle burning brightest because that one burns out the fastest. Yeah, and I think we've all seen um, those athletes before. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And again, more times than not, you see that as opposed to the insane success story of the person who, you know, started at five years old, doing it seven days a week all the way till they were 16, 17, and their bodies start falling apart already. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so I guess moving on, uh, you know, you talked about a lot of stuff, talking about how even when you were the alternate, you were still training like you were the guy, like that was your spot. I'd love to hear you elaborate a little bit on what do you feel that you're doing to stand out and get ahead in your sport? Yeah, so obviously, you know, you touched on a lot of things, like there are a lot of uncontrollables when it comes to sport in general. I mean, people are, everyone's a little bit different and they'll excel at, you know, different things, but it's... Those are not really things that are in your control per se. So what are things in your control? I mean, you don't have to necessarily, I mean, you can train harder, but in addition to training harder, you can also just train smarter. So I try and have conversations with, we, you know, we have specialists that work with us. We also, we have our coach, we have our strength coach, but we also have, um, you know, nutritionists and, um, and sports psychologists and stuff like that. And I try as much as possible. It's more difficult in COVID times, but I try as much as possible to, to talk with these people and not just talk about, you know, what, what they think, but to go into the research with them and, and ask them to send me those papers and, and read it myself. And, and I think that way you just get a bit more informed about what it is that's happening and you can kind of have a bit of a discussion as opposed to just, um, you know, take what they say or do what they say. And there's a bit of a back and forth. And I think you can better understand why they're asking you to do a certain thing. And, and if, you be, if you have a better understanding then you might be able to implement the treatment better. Um, you know, if, if the idea is to, is to rest, well, is rest playing video games? Maybe not because maybe that's actually quite stressful. Yes. Um, so just having that basic understanding, I think, and uh, as well as having a scientific background, I, I'm, I'm a, a science student at St. Mary's. I think that allows me to stand out a little bit better, a little bit more and to, to take a bit more responsibility of my training into my own hands. I, uh, uh, two things from, from that. The first, um, I love that you said sometimes you gotta work smarter, not harder because you know, a lot of, a lot of athletes, especially and a lot of people as well in kind of the fitness world, like bodybuilders, powerlifters and stuff, they're, they're masochists. They love to punish themselves. If they're not crawling out of the gym, if you're not, if you can barely get out of your boat, you know, a lot of people have that mentality of like, that's, that's a good workout, right? If I'm not sore, that's not a good workout. Uh, but that's not necessarily true, especially, um, you know, as far as kind of the theory of periodization, right? Uh, slowly progressing different variables, like the volume of your training, the intensity of your training. Um, and then also, you know, having a periodized plan for your mental training, for your nutrition, right? What, what your mate, weight maintenance is. There's a time and place to work till you're about to pass out, right? There's a time and place, you know, because you need to know that limit. But 
if you're doing that every time, that old school kind of no pain, no gain mentality, well, it leads to a lot of, it leads to a lot more pain than gain, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think it works for some people, but um, uh, not certainly not for everyone. And I think, um, actually, I think it was you who, who was saying to me not that long ago that if you can get the same training stimulus with less fatigue, I mean, that's, that's a better training treatment, right? Oh, 100%. And um, kind of the second point from there, uh, I love that as an athlete, sometimes you have to be selfish. Sometimes you have to be a little bit annoying because the, the squeaky wheel gets more grease, right? Yeah. You know, and I think it's a sign of a good coach, a good uh, clinical professional, like a good PT, uh, a good strength conditioning professional. If obviously you're not trying to be combative, but, you know, you should feel safe to go to them and say, why am I doing this? Maybe not in front of the whole team, maybe not interrupting a, a workout session or a practice session, but when they sit you down and say, here's your plan, say, okay, but why would you have me doing it here? Because, you know, maybe I did this, la this differently last time, or, hey, I actually read something that, you know, something like this might be better, so why would you prescribe me this, or why would you assign me this kind of training, right? Like, I think athletes, you know, there is that kind of authority role of their coaches or their, their, their trainers, right? That it almost gets a little intimidating, but the athletes kind of really need to take their, their own care into their own hands because, you know, no one knows what you're feeling, what's going on inside your body as far as, you know, uh, fatigue or, or how rested you're feeling or how, you know, mentally drained you're feeling or, or lack thereof. Um, no one knows that better than you. Uh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, and I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said, like, the coaches, all these IST and stuff, they feel like, you know, these huge authority figures and it's hard to, to you know, stand up to them or whatever but it's not necessarily even even it's not being rude or being combative or anything like that it's just it's just helping you understand what it is that they're they're asking you to do and of course these people are are experts in in sport and in what it is that they do but you're the expert in you and not only that but i mean the, these people are all stakeholders in in um in ensuring that the program is successful but you're a stakeholder in yourself you want yourself to be successful so it's important that you yeah obviously politely have those private conversations and just say like hey like i feel this way like what's you know what can we do i think that's reasonable yeah it's all about being honest with yourself and that open communication with your training staff yeah absolutely um just as we're kind of moving to an end here because i know you have some pretty big things coming up so we'll we'll, we'll move to wrap this up kind of soon but uh i guess next question we've been asking this to everyone but how has COVID sort of affected you, your training, your goals within or outside of the sport? Yeah, wow. I mean, it's been obviously for everyone on this planet, it's been huge. Um, for us, we were, as I was saying, we were a few weeks out from our Olympic team trials. And then all of a sudden it was just like, it was just like the core got pulled. Um, and we were told it was like, you know, a Friday. Our, we had a team meeting and, and the, our, um, our team leader, I guess I'll call him, he, he says he, we had a team meeting on a Friday and he said, like, it's okay, everything's good, we're, we're safe here. And then it was like the next day or the day after that, and he, we had another team call and he said, okay, uh, whatever flights you have booked, cancel them and get on a flight like tomorrow or the day after, like as soon as possible, get home. And so that's what we did. It was just all of a sudden the core got um, pulled and uh, we, we had to go back home to quarantine. And that was um, a huge change obviously for everyone and when you're about to compete for you know mentally i was prepared to compete for like the, the ultimate goal that i've been pursuing for you know past eight years so it was pretty brutal to go from 
those final preparations to absolutely nothing. You know, you're stuck in your apartment and what can you do? And what, what is there even to do? Because what's going to happen with the Olympics? And so I tried to focus on just the day to day, you know, when I, I find when, when the ultimate goal, um, the long-term goal becomes sort of cloudy, it's just important to focus on what you can do, you know, now, you know, even if you just set the bar really low and just do, you know, I can't paddle when I'm in my apartment, but I can do push-ups, I can do sit-ups, just something. Um, and that's sort of how I got through those first two weeks. And then ultimately we, we learned that the Olympics would be canceled this past summer in 2020, but that it would likely be hosted again the following year. And that was, you know, that sort of changed the game because this whole plan that I was talking to you about before, about this high volume program and then transition back to the spring program before 2020, you know, now we added another year onto that. And so it does sort of make you wonder about that whole four-year approach now that it's a five-year approach. But at least, you know, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone has had to add an extra year onto their training program. So it's, um, you know, it's been, a, it's been a pretty rough ride. And, and even still now, I mean, literally this morning, I don't know if you saw this, but in the CDC, there was a, an article um, where Dick Pound, who's the... Um, um, used to be WADA. He used to be water. Now he's at IOC, but he was he was saying that he's uncertain that the 2021 Tokyo Games are going to go ahead now. And so you just every day you see an article saying, "Oh yeah, it'll go ahead," or another article saying, "Well, I don't know, maybe not." And you just kind of have to, you know, just roll with it. I mean, there's nothing you can really do except for focus on the day to day. And I think that's where I find myself, and I, I think probably a lot of other athletes find themselves is it's it's weird um, having that ultimate goal still being uncertain. Um, and the reality is if you, you can't stop training because if it does happen, you won't be ready. So, but it's hard to push yourself as hard as you can when there's, you don't really know what it is at the end of the tunnel. Um, if there is an end of the tunnel, right? So it's, it's been tricky, but I think that definitely the takeaway, the focus is to enjoy the journey, um, enjoy what's happening right now, focus on what's happening right now in the moment. And if you're having a bad day, Sometimes it's just about setting the bar low and doing some simple things to, to snowball into, into, you know, some more complicated things. I like, I love your, uh, your mentality of just, just sticking to the day to day. It kind of reminds me of something my, uh, my dad used to tell me all the time when I was prepping for competitions for judo and wrestling, but he, he would always say, control what you can control, right? You can mm -hmm. control your diet, right? If practice gets canceled because of, you know, further COVID restrictions, you can control that. You can still use whatever equipment you have around your house. There's so much body weight work you can do to stay, to stay in proper condition so that as soon as you're back on the water, there might be a bit of rust, a bit of, you know, kind of getting back that, that technical aspect, but your, your physical conditioning is there so you can maximize that, uh, you know, how, how soon you can get back to that technical proficiency and then kind of train above that and make further adaptations. That's exactly right. I mean, there's really nothing else you can do, but especially I like what you said about controlling your diet. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate, like, obviously we know that a healthy diet is going to, is going to lead to better performances, but it's just something, especially in lockdown, I think a lot of people, um, athletes or not, were, were able to like, just get a sense of control over their selves, their environment, because you can control what you put in your body, um, even, even during lockdown. So I think that was a really big one, especially it was for me too. That's awesome to hear that you, you've been, you know, being very proactive and, and still keeping yourself in, in top form and kind of every every aspect that that kind of comes together to to make you you know the as, as successful of an athlete as you are um i guess before uh before we finish up here uh is there any i know you've got a pretty big uh big weekend coming up but uh is there any, any things you want to highlight any 
camps, programs, competitions that you're that you want to or are uh, at liberty to highlight or any social media or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't really honestly have anything to highlight. I would so highlight my social media. Uh, my Instagram is Alex J. Scott underscore. And so um, that's that's where I post most of my uh, most of my stuff. If you want to follow me and see see how's how uh, how I'm doing. And we're, we're leaving this weekend to go to B.C. Um, the first time in a long time that the whole team is going to be together in, in one spot and able to train again um, during this pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see how how all that plays out. And so I'll be able to, to post every now and again on that account. Right on. So go check Alex out on Instagram while he uh, runs away from the snow just to get the rain out in BC. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, thank you so much for uh, volunteering your time today to uh, have this little conversation. I mean, uh, there, I think there's so much from this people can take and not just people pursuing, you know, if they have an Olympic dream, but just the regular Joe Schmo who's trying to lose a couple pounds too. The, you know, and that's kind of the, the goal of these, these segments is try to find something for everybody uh and you know just share some experiences especially from uh people from the maritimes to promote that we've got some uh pretty amazing individuals involved in sports in in health and in everything else so uh really thank you so much for uh, coming on today and best of luck in your uh, your future endeavors in the sport of canoe kayak we'll be looking out for uh, i guess tokyo 2021 or even maybe 2022 to see you uh on the podium there well, thank you very much, Matt. It was a lot of fun doing this, and it was good to, you know, sort of see you again. I guess in this virtual environment, uh, it's been a, it's been a while. I was going to say, last time I saw you, I think I was about two pitchers deep down at Freeman's. Before <laughs> 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 got shut down again. <laughs> nice, yeah, yeah. Maybe some other time, you know, when uh, the pandemic is all wrapped up, we can do that again. Yeah, I'll drink you under the table any day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would. <laughs> all right, Alex. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks. Take care.